Good morning, everybody. Good to see you today. Good to be with our friends online as well. We're always grateful for your presence. Hey, wasn't it great to have the youth choir sing today? Yeah, did a good job. Thanks, y'all. They'll be back with you a little later uh, in the service as well. Uh, so we started this worship series, Bless This Mess, a couple of weeks ago just because we knew we all had a mess on our hands, right? Because we knew that family life can sometimes be a struggle and sometimes stressful, and so we wanted to both own that but also offer some helpful suggestions and some, gui some guidance from Scripture. And so I hope that uh, you found some last week and certainly this in the weeks to come. And so we've moved from last week where we talked about discipline and the wonderful ways that that's a teaching and correction motivated or driven by love, right? To today, we're going to talk about teenagers. And uh, teenagers are a fascinating group of folks, right? Uh, we all know that uh, they are distinct and they're all sort of trying to uh, fall into adulthood. So I just have a, a real quick, simple question. I bet you could all answer this. How many of us in this room have ever been a teenager? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, okay. Just wanted to make sure so that we're all on the same page, right? And we all kind of know what this topic is like, right? And a part of what we can own about uh, raising kids or being a teenager is that it's hard. It's just difficult. Uh, and societal pressures don't make it any easier. And uh, it's, it's a recognition that adolescence, which is fascinating, is really kind of a 20th century creation. Prior to that, we didn't acknowledge adolescence. We just moved from childhood into adulthood. There are parts of me who'd rather do that, but there are parts of me who are grateful that we have adolescence now as this midpoint that kind of helps us to see what it's like to grow fully into adulthood. But a part of what we know is that it's just hard, and, and we need to recognize that. And a part of what we also know in the difficulties is that um, really, when all is said and done, all that adolescents are looking for, teenagers, is they're looking for acceptance and affirmation and freedom, right? We want to grow into adulthood, right? We want to become fully free. And that acceptance and that affirmation and that freedom is kind of foundational to what it means to move from adolescence into adulthood. We all felt it ourselves. We all went through it ourselves if we're adults. And we know that that transition can sometimes be awkward, difficult, different. And so we wanted to take some time to try to build off of that last component in particular, freedom. Because freedom is kind of our goal as parents, right? We want to set our kids free. My, my, my father-in-law used to put it this way. He would say, you know, from about the age of 13 to 18, we can just lock them in a, a closet and then just let them go when it turns 18, right? Have you ever felt that way? Every once in a while it does. And we're ready. In fact, we're, uh, some, some folks believe that God created adolescence to help us realize it's time to be set free, right? And so we're all kind of ready for that point in our lives. And yet, even as adults and certainly as parents, we recognize how hard it is to set our kids free. We know it's our job. We know from the very beginning of their birth that it was our role as parents. And yet we kind of want them to stay and we kind of want them to be with us and we kind of want this connection. And so we realize and recognize this is the hardest part of parenting, right? And so I, I felt as though we wanted to uh, spend some moments on this concept of freedom and what it means to help uh, literally launch our kids, right, and help them to go off into society and to be productive, uh, faithful followers of Christ in society. And there's no better place to start with freedom, scripturally, than with Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. Uh, some scholars literally refer to this letter of Paul to these churches in the region as his testament to freedom, his treatise to freedom. 
So throughout the entire letter, you see him helping the, the churches in Galatia to realize how powerful freedom in Christ can be and the wonderful ways that that freedom literally sets us free for life itself. And then we get to the fifth chapter of the book, and Paul just lays it out. He's as blunt as he can be about what this freedom looks like. And so let's start there. He says this in the very first verse, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit again to the bondage of slavery. And all he means is that um, Christ has set us free for a purpose. When we follow Christ, he forgives us, he wipes the slate clean, and he says, go on, make something of your life and realize you no longer have to be slaves to bondage of sin, and death and despair and darkness, all of those things. That's the good news, right? And then Paul gets even more specific in verse 13. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. I think Paul knew something that we all know as adults. You remember when you were a child or perhaps an adolescent and you learned about the freedoms of this country and you learned about how wonderful our rights were as, as individuals in this country and our instant go-to was, I can do anything I want, anytime, place, anywhere. I got freedoms. This is a free country, right? And, and perhaps we've heard that in our own homes, right? When we, when we trying to set down the law or set some boundaries with, it's a free country, I can do whatever I want, right? Have you ever heard that? You don't have to answer. That's all right. But what we realize as we become adults is that with freedom becomes responsibility, wherever the freedom comes from. And so in our faith journey, when Christ has set us free, he has set us free from darkness and despair and death, and he set us free for hope and life and light. And all of that claims a specific responsibility that Paul addresses right here when he says, don't use your freedom for selfish indulgence, but rather use it as a way to serve others. And that's really the best way freedom works, isn't it? Whether it's democratic freedom or whether it's spiritual freedom, it works best when we all play our part working together for the common good in order to promote in our country a better welfare, right? But really, when we follow Jesus, that's the goal as well. We're going to gain this freedom from death and despair and darkness so that we can receive abundance and joy and love and life and share it with others. It's a both and, right? And it comes to us in that fashion. And so today, I'd like to kind of hover around that freedom concept because I think that's where we gain a great insight into how we can do this. And that, that freedom is fascinating because wouldn't we really want that for our kids? I mean, that is our goal, right? To raise them up so that they can be set free and, and accomplish great goals and become full-blooded adult citizens of society. That's our goal. But unfortunately, sometimes we just kind of want to keep our chicks together, and so we're not clear. But this freedom is fascinating. Uh, we started last week talking about this book called Grace-Based Parenting, and we want to continue that journey. Uh, we've got that book there. You can certainly purchase that uh, wherever you'd like if you'd like to purchase it. It's a great book. We've used it before in some studies in days gone by here, and the premise is that grace is a better way as parents. We know it's a great way as followers of Jesus, right? We're grateful for grace. It's what set us free. Well, the premise by Dr. Tim Kimmel in Grace-Based Parenting is the same, 
that if we will offer these freedoms to our teenagers, it will help them and us achieve our goals of setting them free. So we're going to use the book as a basis point along with Scripture to help guide us through several things. I'm going to, I'm going to go rapid and fast, y'all. So if you're doing the notes in the, in the app, hopefully that will help you out. Uh, but no, we're going, to, we're going to move through this very quickly because there's a lot of information. So the first freedom that Kimmel talks about is free, the freedom to be different. The freedom to be different. Now, that sounds pretty common, right? And, and, but the basis point is simply this. God created every human being in God's image, and a part of what that means is God's spiritual image. And then, of course, a part of what that means is we're all uniquely created. We're all uniquely designed. We're all different. And therefore, when we speak to our teenager, when we interface with our teenager, when we relate to our teenager, we need to affirm and help them to recognize that no matter who they are, no matter how they're interfacing in the world, no matter what's going on in their lives, they are a good creation of God. God created them as they are. Remember in the creation story, after God had created all the animals and all of the plants and all of the sea and all of those things, and then God created humanity, God said, it is very good. And so part of what we need to do is affirm that, right? No matter how quirky, no matter how weird, no matter how unique, no matter how different our child may be, no matter if they're wearing pink hair or they're wearing funky clothes or they're kind of walking to a different beat, we need to affirm them. We don't have to appreciate, but we need to affirm that they are a unique creation of God, that God created them as they are. And we sometimes struggle with that because we're afraid of what people are going to think, right? What are they going to think when they see that purple hair? What are they going to think when they see that earring hanging? Or what are they, you're right? I mean, we all take that on because it, it feels as though it's us out there, right? Because they're ours and we helped that and made that possible, right? So we take that all on. And part of what I just want to say is this. As followers of Christ, we're called to be distinct and different from the world. We're called to be set apart and to be holy, and not, not everybody's going to understand that. Not everybody's going to walk with us on that. Paul, the apostle, understood this. When he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said this in the very first chapter. It's one of my favorite verses in that particular book. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he just said, look, God's foolishness is wiser than any human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than any human strength. And a part of what I glean from that is God recognized, and clearly Paul did as well, that, man, there's going to be some differences among us, and there's going to be some distinctions, and our kids, you know, they're going to do silly things sometimes, and they're going to dress in funny ways, and they're going to, we need to challenge ourselves, moms and dads, to not make arbitrary decisions about what our kids wear or how they act or things like that. Now, clearly there need to be boundaries. We talked about discipline last week. We talked about the need for boundaries. But a part of what I'm saying is when our kids look funny, act funny, do funny, just affirm that their differences are a gift from God and then keep the boundaries that you believe are necessary and real in the relationship. Because what a teenager needs most is for us to communicate to them that they are loved and that they are worthy and valuable. What they don't need is judgment and condemnation, right? Love and um, affirmation is what helps something thrive and grow. Now, it doesn't mean we have to accept every behavior. That's not what I'm here to say. It, it's more about appearance and, and kind of how they present themselves is what I'm talking about. 
We want to help affirm who they are and love them as they are without necessarily agreeing with everything that they do. There are reasons for boundaries. But what a youth needs to hear every single day and experience from us every single day is you are loved, you are cherished, you are of worth and value because you've been created in the image of God. God does this so well with us. God accepts us as we are, and God works with us just as we are as adults, right? And I love the powerful story in the Gospel of John. You remember the woman who's been caught in adultery in John chapter 8, and the people have their stones, and they're ready to cast the stones at her, and Jesus stops them for a minute and says, hey, hey, if you've got no sin in your own life, if you've never sinned on your own day, then you go ahead and cast that first stone. And you remember the story, they each one by one put their stone down and the elders left first because they had the most life's experience and they realized that they had sinned themselves. And then it's in verses 10 and 11 that Jesus sets the course for what I mean by helping bring the freedom of differentness to our children, our teenagers. Jesus has been doodling in the sand, you may remember, and there's all kinds of philosophies about what he's doing, but he stands up and he says to the woman, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? No, she said. Then neither do I, said Jesus. Go and sin no more. Now notice the ordering of what Jesus did. He loved her first. He helped her to know that she was of worth and value first. And then he challenged her to change her behavior. See, our teenagers need to know that we love them that we value them, that we cherish them, so that when there are these differences, we can help offer correction, the discipline that we talked about last week. Help set them free by allowing them to know that it's all right to be different. The second freedom is this, the freedom to be vulnerable. Now, this is the most human characteristic that we have, to be vulnerable. Literally, we were made this way. The creation story reminds us of this. You remember Adam and Eve were in the, create, in the garden, and, and they, were, they were naked as a jaybird, and they were all good until they ate from the tree of the difference of the knowledge between good and evil. And then their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked. Well, the Hebrew word that's translated into the English as naked literally means vulnerable. They realized they were vulnerable. And so every single day since that creation, we've all realized we were vulnerable and we put up a good old big old mask. I don't want you to in on me. I, I don't want you to know my stuff. I don't want you to tell this. I don't want you to be a part, right? We don't want to be vulnerable. It is a part of the human condition. It literally is a part of our sin. It is the pride of that vulnerability that led to our sinful nature. Therefore, the most genuine way we can be human is to be vulnerable. But it's the hardest, most scary thing we do because we don't want people in, right? What better, therefore, thing to help our teenagers gain than to be fully human, to be the very person God created them to be? 
Paul, the apostle, wrote about this at one point, again, to the churches in Corinth. He knew the folks in Corinth were a hodgepodge of folks from across the globe, the then-known globe, and they came together, and man, for those who wanted to follow Jesus, they, they weren't 100% clear how to do it and how their former life needed to change in order to be a follower of Jesus. And, and Paul put it succinctly when he talked to them in first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he said, look, uh, each time God says, my grace is sufficient for your needs. My power works best in weakness. Paul took that to heart. And he would go on further to say this, so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work in me. I'm best in weakness because when I am weak, I can rely on the God of life. I can put my whole trust in the God who provides it's what God desires from us. Remember the goal we talked about last week, bring our children and teenagers from dependence on us to dependence on God. And when they find their dependence on God, they themselves can be vulnerable because they can rely on the God who provides. That's the gift, and it's, it's a hard teach for us to offer our kids because we don't want to be vulnerable. But it's one of the best gifts we can give our teenagers is to transmit that vulnerability. You know, part of what we know about adolescence and teenagerhood is it, it's, a, um, it's a fragile time, right? Their bodies are changing. Their hormones are going through stuff. Their, their intellect is changing. Their life is changing in terms of who they relate to. Their, sometimes their friends are changing, their relationships. It's a fragile time. Part of what we are called to do as parents is to offer care not trivialization. And we don't ever intend to trivialize, but we often do when we make statements like, oh, you'll get over that and you'll grow out of that and you'll move past that. Or we, we, we make statements that we think are helping, but what we're doing is trivializing the reality of their world. And what our teenagers need is a sense of care and concern that they are valuable and that we love them. There are some tools and resources that we can use that um, can help this vulnerability. One of them you know so well, and that's to just eat meals together, right? Ha have dinner together. If you're not having a, a meal uh, with your teenager during the week, you need to have two or three or four. The reality is you ought to have every evening meal with them or at least some meal every day. Now, I know schedules are challenging. I get all that. But we all know what happens when we break bread together. We discover each other. Now, just because we're living in the same household doesn't mean we know each other. <laughs> we know that, don't we? But man, what happens when we break bread together? We discover our kids. We talk with them about school or their band or a drill team or football or soccer or whatever they're involved in, and we discover who they are, and they can share the realities of their lives, the frustrations of their day, the heartaches and the joys, their vulnerability. We can also have what are sometimes referred to as family meetings. Now, I know family meetings doesn't sound sexy or anything or fun. What, what meeting did you ever go to that sounded fun, right? But a family meeting sometimes is scheduled, like maybe once a month, and sometimes it's just on demand. There's a circumstance that demands the family meeting. And the purpose of the family meeting, whether it's scheduled or it's on demand, is simply this, communication. Here's what I expect. Here's what I understand. Here's what I know happened. Here's what we can do. Here's how we can work together, right? There's communication, and we share 
exactly what has happened. If, if they're scheduled family meetings, then maybe you literally work together with your teenager to set the agenda so that they feel a part of and that they feel like they've got some control in their lives. But in and through those simple communication opportunities, our teenagers learn how to be more vulnerable and transparent about what's going on in their lives, about the highs and the lows, and about how they feel God's present or not. And that vulnerability makes them and you real. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for the reality of mom and dad, not the parameters of mom and dad, right? And then finally, share your story. Look, every one of us in adolescence had some kind of awkward moment whether it was at school or in extracurricular activities, maybe it was when we were playing or whatever with our friends, we all had awkward moments. We all had those vulnerable moments that we don't like to talk about. But guess what happens when you share one of your vulnerable moments with your kid? They realize you're real. They want connection. They desire to know more about you just like you want to know more about them. That vulnerability is huge. And as a component of that, what our children need to see in us more than anything, if we're trying to move our children and teenagers from dependence upon us to dependence upon God, let your adolescent see and know that you are dependent on God. Let them know that you pray to God. Let them know that you ask for help from God. Let them know that you need God. Let them see and experience that this is true and needful in your life. Because if they don't, guess what they do? They assume it's not real. They assume it's not true. If they cannot see in our lives that we depend on God, why would they? You are the most influential person in their life and if they don't believe you depend on God, they're not going to depend on God. Now, I have to confess that even as your pastor, this was one of the weakest parts of my parenting because I assumed they knew that I prayed daily, that I relied on God heavily, that I depended upon God for my every breath. But osmosis doesn't work well that way. I have to communicate that. I have to share that, right? That's a powerful thing to help our kids know that we too are transparent and vulnerable. You know, Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5. He just says, give your cares to God, right, and your worries because God cares for you. What a wonderful gift that is to instill in our young people that they may genuinely know that God can be relied upon but they'll only know if we help reveal that truth to them. Third, freedom. Not only freedom uh, to be different and freedom to be vulnerable, but here's one that will challenge every last parent, the freedom to be candid. Now, most of us have already felt as though our young people are as candid as they can be, right? They tell me all kinds of things that I've done wrong or didn't want to know or how I did that wrong or how I got th this wrong or how I look silly or how I don't do the right thing or how I don't know how to operate my cell phone or my computer, right? We often feel like they're awfully candid, but this is of a different ilk. 
Candidness here is not about sarcasm or mean-spiritedness or jabs, but rather candidness here is just about revealing my true self, revealing the truth of my realities, to be uh, uh, frankly clear about my struggles, my fears, my joys. Because a part of what we teach our young people when we have put up our own barriers and don't uh, demonstrate that we rely on God is that we can't be true. We can't be our authentic self. And so candidness here is about just being openly clear about what is going on in my heart and in my life. This will become tremendously valuable in a marriage, hello, and in other serious relationships as we grow up. And so the candidness becomes important, and the candidness needs to still be gracious and kind, right? Paul put it this way when he wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 4. He says, your speech should always be gracious and sprinkled with insight so that you may know how to respond to every person. We can be clear and we can be candid and still be kind and gracious, right? Parents and teenagers. Because again, when we demonstrate this, it helps teach and even correct when all is said and done, this candidness is all about sort of creating an atmosphere of safety. So what we want to do is allow for safe environment for our teenagers to explore, to explore their um, questions, to explore their um, uh, musings about life, to explore what, what is happening to them. We need to create a safe environment where they can ask questions that might even be offensive to us or we don't have an answer for. You know, our life groups, if you're in a life group here, you know that one of the principal foundations is safety. You have to be safe in the environment to say, I don't understand this about God, or I, I've never known how to do this in my faith, or I don't pray well, or whatever, right? We, we need to be able to have a safe environment for our teenagers so that they can express their most authentic selves. Because if they can't, they'll never do it as an adult, whether in work or in another relationship with other people. And our purpose, friends, is to move from dependence on us to dependence on God. And when we can fully depend on God, we can face all kinds of circumstances in very candid ways, right? Paul likewise would write to the church at uh, Ephesus when he said that we need to speak the truth in love. Remember that phrase? Speaking the truth in love is being very candid but also being very kind in the way we express it. And we need to model that in our everyday lives with our kids. And we can do that in a number of ways, but um, uh, we can do it through questions that generate conversation, that help give our kids practice at communicating candidly. Here are some of those questions. You might get a kick out of some of these. Instead of asking our young people when they get home from school, was it a good day? Did you learn anything? Don't ask yes or no questions, right? You learned that lesson a long time ago, right? Ask questions like these. They don't have to be these, but what, what, are, the mo what, what are you most excited about these days? What are you most excited about? What gets you up in the day, right? Uh, what's something cool you heard or learned today? They've got to think about it. They've got to figure that out, right? 
How about what are you or your friends laughing about these days? Now, you may need to rephrase this one because sometimes we're not laughing at the most appropriate things, right? What brings you joy? What makes you happy with your friends, right? Just something along those lines. Or what's making you mad these days? Now, notice these questions work both on vulnerability and on candidness because they help us reveal our true selves. And if indeed we're moving from dependence on us to dependence on God, we've got to be our most true selves. A couple of things to think about when we ask these questions and we begin to get answers that we do not want because they'll come, right? We'll hear stuff we didn't intend to hear. We'll hear stuff that's not pleasing to our ears. We'll hear stuff that was not on our radar screen. Just three simple things to practice. Remain calm. If your facial expressions tell everything, turn the other way. Right? You, you've got to be able to not say to them with, not, with no words at all, are you crazy? Remain calm, right? Pray. Now, look, you can pray in the moment, right? We call those breath prayers. Help me, Jesus, right? You say it right under your breath. You can say it right before the conversation. If you know you're about to enter into a family meeting and you've got those questions on the deck, right, to ask, then pray before the meeting. God, help me have wisdom. Help me have discernment. Help me, Lord. That's a great breath prayer. Help me, Lord, right? You can fill in the blank with anything else you want after help me, Lord right? Not kill my child, right? Just... <laughs> Remain calm, pray, and then this is hard for us sometimes. I'm not sure why it's hard, but I know it's hard for me, so I can only assume it's hard for you. Affirm. Find whatever genuinely you can affirm in your teenager, because what they hear more often than not, whether you say it or not, is you're not worthy, you can't do that, don't ever do this, no. Right? I mean, that's just what they hear. So if we can affirm more commonly, then it helps them become more vulnerable and candid with their lives. And we're actually looking for that. These are the freedoms that set them free for joy and for life. Finally, last one, last freedom is the freedom to make mistakes. Hello. We've all made them. I got a, a treasure trove full of mistakes, personally, professionally, relationally. I got a treasure trove of mistakes. Why is it, therefore, then when our kid makes some kind of mistake at school or with a friend or in the car or whatever, that we tend to pound rather than use the opportunity to learn from the mistake, right? Clearly, there are boundaries. Clearly, there are things that are right and wrong, and we want to help keep them within those bounds. But when they screw up, it is much better for us to help them walk through a solution than it is to say, uh, you can never do X again, or by golly, you screw it up all the time, or you never make right choices. Guess what any of those statements do? Squelch freedom. Because instantly what I'm going to do is retreat. What I'm going to do is never tell you anything ever again. You remember my story last week about the, the, the big man who happened to be my dad that swung the paddle? You remember that guy? Guess what I learned early in life to do to him? Lie about my mistakes. 
because I knew that when I had a mistake, I was going to get an aerodynamically created paddle on my backside. So I learned how to misrepresent things. I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you that's part of my reality. But if we can help engender these freedoms, then it will help our young people begin to be more real about what's going on in their lives. The psalmist put it so well, Psalm 130. I want to encourage you to read Psalm 130 today. It's a very powerful psalm about how God is with us and for us and how God helps us in our deepest time of need. But in Psalm 130 and verses 3 and 4, it literally just says, Lord, if, if you were to punish people uh, for all of our sins, no one would be around <laughs> because we've all got them, right? And, and we all know that we make them. And part of what I learned several years ago in leadership training is there are no mistakes unless you don't learn from them, right? There is no failure unless you don't move forward out of the failure. So part of what we have to engender in our teenagers is the opportunity and the freedom to make mistakes from which you can return, right? We, we don't want to hand them a, you know, $80,000 vehicle and just say, have at it, right? But we do want them to be able to figure life out and make good and appropriate choices. Part of what I mean by this is guilt and shame and fear are not good motivators. Grace is. I don't know about you, but I'm deeply motivated by grace. I'm immensely grateful for the grace that God has offered me. I recognize in the midst of my frailties and failures that God still loves me and God wants to correct me. It's a both and. And so we need to live more clearly into that. I mean, Paul knew this as well. He would write in that powerful treatise to the, to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 3, look, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's be mindful of that when our kid screws up because they're going to screw up, right? We wouldn't be human if that didn't happen. But in the midst of the mistake, let's offer grace and correction right? But grace first. Has no one chosen to cast a stone at you? No. Then neither do I. Go and sin no more, right? So part of what we do is that we try to help point our teens to the powerful gift of God's forgiveness, to help them realize that God is with them and for them, and so are we, and that we want the very best for them, and that we want to set them free, help them to experience that gift of God's forgiveness because that brings hope just like it does for you and me. That hopefulness can transform even the most ill-reformed adolescent, if only we'll allow it to be. Friends, this is the gift that God set before us. This is the, the beauty of what Paul was writing to the churches in Galatia about. For freedom, Christ has set us free, but we cannot use that freedom for our own self-indulgences, but rather to serve others. Imagine what we could do if we instilled these freedoms in our teenagers and they used them for service to others, to build God's kingdom, to help create God's will and God's ways in the world. Wow. <laughs> you, we would have done amazing things and transformed 
a culture. Imagine what freedom can do. It's a pretty powerful gift, isn't it? May it be yours, and may it be your teenagers in the days that lie ahead. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of freedom. You really can set a heart and a mind free. Help us, Lord, in our own raising of our children and even those in community or our grandchildren. Help us, Lord, to instill these valuable freedoms that will set them free, set them on a course for success. Help them to know that they are created in your image and you have so much hope in store for them. God, thank you for the gift of freedom in Christ. May we portray that in all of our living and in all of our parenting. God, we lift this prayer in the name of Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.